Magnify the Lord. I like the sound of that. The title of my message tonight is going to be Position of Praise. I taught on this in Sunday school class last week. If you were in there, I beg you, don't check out now. God gave me four days to really do it. Pastor Jared called me on Tuesday afternoon, and he said, I want you to preach. And I'd really like for you to pray about preaching the message that you taught on Sunday night in Sunday school. And I really felt the Lord just edify that in my spirit and confirm it. And so tonight, if you weren't in Sunday school class, praise God. Because the mercy of God gave you another chance to hear it. Amen. Hallelujah. Would you stand with me in prayer tonight? I'm going to read the word of God. There's a lot of different directions I could go. I just feel so compelled just to go straight to the word of the Lord tonight. Precious Heavenly Father, God, I love you, Lord. God, I am nothing without you, Jesus. I've come to that point, God, in this relationship with you that I am nothing without you. I ask you tonight, God, to cover me, anoint me, Father. Give me your words to speak, God, Lord, that these people would hear you and not me, God. God, I ask you, Lord, I've done my part, Lord. Now I'm asking you to come do yours. God, I cannot do this without you, Father. I love you and I praise you, God, and I'll be sure to give you all the glory. If you'll flip over to your Bibles in John chapter 12, we're going to read the first 11 verses. It's going to take me a little while to get back to this original scripture, but I just want to, I want to read this so it'll be in the back of your mind as I preach this message. It says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Then he said, not that he cared, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he had the bag and bear that was that put, put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying has she kept this. For the poor always ye have with you, but ye have me not always. Much people of the Jews, pay attention to this part. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. Thank you for standing and reading the word of God with me tonight. Tonight, the message that I have titled again is the position of praise. The first point that I want to make tonight is that our praise is first and foremost to please God and God alone. It's for nobody else. Brother Lewis, it ain't for you, it ain't for me, it's for God and God alone. How many times do we come in here and we go to worship the Lord and we go peek outside to see if somebody's watching us praise? Oh, come on, the only thing that matters is if God is watching you and he's pleased with what he sees. Isaiah 43, verse 7, and then verse 21. I'm going to read them back to back. Verse 7 says, Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him for my glory. I have formed him. Yea, I have made him. Verse 21 says, This people have I formed for myself, 
they shall show forth my praise. Hallelujah. John chapter 4 verses 23 through 24 says, this is Jesus speaking, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Oh, come on now. God ain't impressed with your flesh. No, no, somebody else might be paying attention to what you're doing and think, wow, they've got it all together. But God looks and he sees the contents of your heart. It says that God is a spirit, meaning that our worship, our praise, our sacrifice to him is a spiritual thing. It's not carnal, it's not fleshly, it is simply you and I humbling ourselves before a loving God who sent his only son to die on a cross and say, God, I love you. Jesus, thank you for dying and taking away my sins. Spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, the Holy Spirit is said to be the spirit of truth. You and I must worship God through the power of the Holy Spirit. It is what brings truth, it is what brings revelation, and it is ultimately what sets us in line with who God is. Come on, hang with me now. Our Father is not a respecter of persons, but you better believe He respects what you bring to Him. Oh, come on now. I'm going to say that again. He is not a respecter of persons, but He respects and honors what you bring to Him. You don't believe me? Go to Genesis chapter 4. The first book of the Bible, Cain and Abel. What did Abel do? He brought a sacrifice and it said God respected the sacrifice. Cain brought a a half-hearted sacrifice and it says God did not respect it. He's no respecter of persons. Oh, but he will respect another sacrifice over yours. Oh, man, you don't hear that preached very often. No, no, just come as you are. Come as you may. Lift up unholy hands. No, no, you better lift up holy hands to the Heavenly Father. It's only through Jesus Christ that we have this opportunity to worship Him and the Heavenly Father. And I can tell you, if you come to God in any way other than Christ, you will not be a sweet-smelling savor to His nostrils. Oh, He's going to reject it. He's going to reject your praise if you come to Him in any other way than through the blood of Jesus Christ. We're going to cover some ground pretty quick, and we're going to get to the real deal of this. The second point being... No matter the position of your praise, it will always draw criticism for others. No matter what position of praise you're in, it's always going to draw criticism from somebody else. You don't believe me? We just read it in John chapter 12. Mary's at the feet of Jesus. She's broken this expensive ointment. Judas, of all people, one of the disciples said, Should this not have been sold? Given to the poor. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 13 through 16. And it was so that when they had the, that they bare the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. I'm talking about not half-hearted. He danced with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. 
So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Sounds like a pretty joyous time to me. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, guess who? Michael, Saul's daughter, who is David's wife, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And you know what it says? And she despised him in her heart. Oh, this man's excited, Brother Jared. The Ark of the Covenant is coming back to Jerusalem. The presence of God is back with us. He's he's jumping, he's leaping, he's dancing. Oh, and guess who's there? His own wife. Looking through a window, and you know what? She despised him in his heart. In her own heart. So you've got Mary... Who's just so so thankful just to be in the presence of God. She's just there at his feet just loving the presence of Jesus. Then you've got David. He's leaping and dancing. Oh my God, he is dancing. He's so joyful. So excited. Somebody still criticizes praise. Job chapter 2 verse 7 through 10. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. And he took him a pot sure to scrape himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Anybody here ever sat in some ashes? Anybody here ever had just some horrible times? Afflicted by the enemy. Nowhere to turn but just to hit the ground. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women. I like that he didn't just come out and call her a foolish woman. He said, you speak as one of the foolish women. Brother David Owens preached one of the most profound thoughts I've ever heard in my life. He said, God still used Job's wife. He didn't kill Job's wife. Why? Because he knew that he needed that womb to bring forth a life that would restore everything back to Job. So Job, in God's grace and mercy, looks at his wife and says, you speak as a foolish woman. He didn't call her a foolish woman. He said, you speak as one. And he said, what? Shall we not receive good at the hand of God and shall we not also receive evil? Meaning, it's not good. does God not just bless us? But there will be things that happen along this journey as well. In all of this did not Job sin with his lips. Oh, your praise is more than just coming in here on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night and standing at the front of this altar and worshiping Jesus. Your life is a living testimony of the praise and worship that you have for Jesus. The the life that you live before others, even when they say to curse God and die, it said that Job did not, in all of his days, he did not curse the Lord. So you've got David rejoicing. Job's just stricken with grief. And Mary's just thankful. Number one, that she's in the presence of Jesus, but that he raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. And yet in all of these scenarios, nobody's completely happy. Nobody's completely happy. Others will always target your praise and try to influence it. They do not want you no matter how close they are to you, no matter who they are. There will always be somebody who says, don't worship God quite that way. But I've come to tell somebody, 
It don't matter what anybody else says. You worship the Lord. Oh, but you don't just worship him. You do it in spirit and you do it in truth. Oh, come on now. You do it in spirit and you do it in truth. My God. I get so tired of just feeling like somebody's always looking over my shoulder. But then it hit me, you know what? They really are. It's a lot easier knowing I can worship God, knowing somebody's going to criticize me no matter what. Oh, come on now. I might cut a rug and run laps around this place. Somebody ain't going to like it. I might come down here and weep before the Lord. Somebody's going to say, man, why don't he just get his act together? Oh, come on. Then others. I can just sit here at the feet of Jesus, thankful for what he's done in my life. And somebody's always going to say, what are you doing down there? It ain't worth that much. You could have done that and done it for somebody else. Go spend your time at the rescue mission. Don't sit at the feet of Jesus. Oh, man. I hope y'all ain't tired of worshiping the Lord because when this is over, we're going to worship God. Oh, we're going to worship the Lord. Come on, that's right. I wish somebody else would stand up and give God the worship that he deserves. Oh, because he's holy. He's holy. He's holy. It don't matter what somebody else says. It don't matter what they think. It don't matter what you've done. Worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. Is he not worthy? Is he not worth it all? It don't matter what people say. It don't matter what they think. You worship God. My next point being, criticism of others' praise will bring reproach, barrenness, and betrayal. Reproach, barrenness, and betrayal. Real, genuine worship always exposes a heart that's not fully captivated by Christ. You know why your your worship affects other people? Your real, genuine worship bothers some people. It's because their heart ain't like yours. Their heart ain't fully sold on Jesus Christ. They're not captivated by the one who died for their sins. Abel, Hebrews 11 says, by faith, gave a more excellent sacrifice than his brother Cain. A more excellent sacrifice. So I'm just here to serve notice tonight. Maybe you're mad at somebody because you don't think they should be worshiping God. You better take inventory on your heart. Because somebody that you think shouldn't be worshiping the Lord, somebody who you think isn't worthy of praising the Lord, they could be offering a more, re- a more acceptable sacrifice than you. Yes, sir. Amen. 
No, but we like to just come in and sit on our high horses. We're dressed to the T. We look the part. We do what God asks us to do. Oh, but God looks right through every bit of that. He looks through every bit of that. Reproach. David and both chastised their wives in godly reproach. As I pointed out, Job didn't call her a foolish woman. He said, you speak as a foolish woman. David told his wife, he said, I did this for the Lord. Mary, at the feet of Jesus, Judas says, should not this have been sold and given to the poor? But I can tell you this. The best part about reproach is, is that when you're at the feet of Jesus, those that are accusing you got to go through him. Oh, come on now. Oh, come on. Oh, come. Y'all, did. Y'all didn't catch that part. No, no, I said they've got to go through Jesus to accuse you. Oh, and you know what? He's the one who answers their accusations. Jesus answers the accusers. He's the one who's looked at Judas and said, leave her alone. She's kept this against the day of my burial because she knows that she won't have me always, Judas. John chapter 8, the adulterous woman caught her in the very act, drug her out there for everybody to see drug her down there to the feet of Jesus and said, Moses said we ought to stone this woman, Jesus. What do you say? Oh, that was the wrong person to ask. Oh, the wrong person to ask. Because once you put somebody at the feet of Jesus, you ain't talking to them no more. You're talking to him. Caught her in the very act. The very act. We got her now. Anybody else been in a mess and just all of a sudden found yourself at the feet of Jesus? Oh, the devil done drug you up to accuse you, but he done drug you right up to the one who loves you. I can't be the only one. Oh, I've been in a mess before. The devil accused me all the way to the feet of Jesus. The feet of Jesus. They drug her down to the feet of Jesus and said, now what you going to do? The wrong person to ask and the wrong person to try to accuse. Oh, hallelujah. He looked at those men and he said, he wrote on the ground first. No, I wish I knew what he wrote. I'll think about that message you preached. I'll do right. Where's the man? He very well could have been that. But he writes on the ground, and he tur- he picks up his head, and he says, "You that's without the first stone, you that without the first sin, cast the first stone. You that's without sin, cast the first stone." Those men were so struck to the core of who they were, one by one. One by one, those stones, they were ready to just lay into her. One by one, they had to look at their own heart. The words of Jesus pierced their hearts. And one by one, they dropped their stones and they walked away. I was over here during the service this morning. 
the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, he said, there will be people in this service tonight. You don't know how in the world you ended up in this church. You don't know how in the world you got drugged to this church. But there's good news for you. You've been drugged to the feet of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. This family that came in earlier, we were praying for that young man. I watched him walk across that lawn. Jesus spoke to my heart and said, there's some of them right there. Oh, oh, there's some of them right there. I'm here to tell you, young man, you were down here at this altar, broken, crying, crying out for God. He heard your cry, but every accuser, every thought that you've had said you are good enough. God could never love you. It's all gone tonight. Oh, because with Jesus, he got done with all that he did. He picked her up and said, look around. Where's all the accusers now? Oh, where are they at now? Oh, they were long gone. But you know who was still there? Jesus was still there. If you'll just go to his feet, you'll find he'll never leave you. No, he'll never forsake you. Young man, I want to tell you tonight. Brother, look at me. Your accusers are no more. You are free tonight in the name of Jesus Christ. You are free tonight. Worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Pastor, I'm going to pick up what you were putting down this morning for just a minute. You see, we like to get in ourselves sometimes when somebody accuses us. When somebody questions what we're doing, we're the ones who like to retaliate and say, no, no, no. Let me tell you something. You see, I'm fully aware that there's probably some people who don't enjoy the way I preach. Probably get too excited for them. It would be so easy for me to look at them and say, hey, Judas, listen to this. Hey, Judas. Let me tell you what God did for me. I preached like this because he saved me when I was a little boy. You weren't there when he saved me. Hey, Judas, let me tell you why I preach with the freedom that I preach with. It's because when I was getting a junior in high school, I gave up a starting position on the varsity baseball team to follow Christ. And he said, if you'll do it with all your heart, you'll lack for nothing. And I haven't lacked for anything. But you see, what I've just done is I've just shot 15 holes in who Judas is. I just got up there in my religion and said, hey, don't you shoot at me. Let me tell you something. And that's what we like to do with those that accuse us. And we say, hey, wait just a second. And we get up in our flesh and we cut them down. Jesus don't have to cut nobody down. Oh, man, come on. He speaks in truth. He knows the contents of their heart. You might criticize my preaching, Brother Michael. You might not think it's good. But I can't tell you, you just hush your mouth. Let me tell you what God did. Jesus can come to you and he can say, where's the joy of your salvation? We can say, God, these people are accusing me. These Pharisees, the long looks of religion. Kevin Wallace, I heard a clipper, he used that phrase, and I said, that's dead on, man. The long looks of religion. I've been there, people just, 
Ain't nobody happy that you're touching Jesus' feet. They don't want you washing his feet and wiping it with your hair. Oh, but the, the flip side of that is, is they wouldn't wash your feet. But we just pull that thing out. We just fire back at them. That is the most ungodly, unchrist-like thing that you and I can do. You let Jesus fight your battles. He didn't die on the cross and raise again just so you'd have to face ridicule by yourself, criticism by yourself. No, he handles all of that. He handles everybody. He looked at those men. He said, you that's without sin cast the first stone. Not one of them could do it. Not one of them could do it. The good news is, we don't have to dish out the reproach. Jesus will do it in his own way. And that way is always grace. That way is always love and mercy. He loves those people that are criticizing you. He loves them just as much as he loves you. Barrenness. We're going to deal with David's wife, Michael, now. She's looking at David dancing before the Lord. So joyful. So excited. A monumental day. The Lord's presence is coming back home. We've got it. He's given us the victory. Michael looks through the window. And she sees that and she despises him in her heart. From that day forward, Michael was barren for the rest of her life. She gave forth no more children. I'm telling you now. I got to this point. I started looking inside now. Because now that I've understood I don't have to fire back. And that Jesus is the one who will stand up for me. Now I had to do the flip side and say, God, have I done this to other people? Oh, man. I just lost half of you now. I just lost half of you now. Because we like it. When it's positive and feel good and Jesus is on our side, he's going to fight our battles. Oh, but then we got to turn it inward. And we got to look at it. And I had to repent and ask God, God, are there areas in my life that are barren because I criticize someone else's praise? Was I critical of what God did in somebody else's life? And now am I the one paying the consequence for it? I had to fall on my face before God and repent. Say, God, forgive me. Tonight, some of you need to come to this altar and repent for putting your hands on somebody else's worship. Because there's some death in your life that doesn't have to be there. You don't have to be half dead in this church. You can be life-giving, life-flowing, life-altering for somebody else. But it all begins with your praise and not looking at somebody else's and judging what they do. You want to find some abstract worshipers? You came to the right place. Yeah, yeah. You came to the right place. I can tell you when I first showed up, it threw me off just a little bit. 
But you know what? When you're walking in the Spirit, and you're led by the Spirit, and you're striving and seeking for the Spirit of God, it don't take long and you and that starts to bear witness with one another. Oh, come on. I don't care if you're waving that American flag around on the top of your head. I'm going to grab that Christian flag and do the same thing. Who am I to judge what God's done for you? I won't do it. It don't take much discernment to know if somebody's in their flesh or in the spirit. God put that discernment and you use it. You'll know if it don't match up with who God is. Oh, but I can tell you the moment you put your hands on it and it was real, you better hold on to your hat. Because if you don't repent and you don't get things right, you'll find that your spiritual life will begin to decay and rot. And there's only one reason, and it's because you touch somebody else's praise. Barrenness. I don't want to be barren. Man, I want to bear fruit for Christ. We're at the last days. The last hours. Jesus is about to split the clouds. I don't want to be found barren. I want to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth with my brothers and sisters. And say, you know what, brother? I'm thrilled for you. Sister, I know you're broken. Let me know if I can help. But no, so many times... We criticize them because we know that their heart is more pure, more pure than ours. That's the whole reason you can't stand somebody else's worship. It's because you know inside of your heart there's something between you and God. And they're worshiping God unhindered and that bothers you. They're worshiping God unhindered. And there's something in your heart that's hindering the flow of God. And when that happens, you will hate them. Cain slew his, he killed his brother. How many people have we killed spiritually only to turn around and realize that we're killing ourselves instead? Betrayal. I want you to listen to this. Judas questioned Mary anointing, breaking that expensive ointment. He questioned it. But what I want you to see is that it was impossible for Judas to understand the sacrifice of Mary at Jesus' feet because his worship was for sale, but hers wasn't. Judas's worship was for sale, but Mary's wasn't. And when your worship's for sale, you're going to criticize, ridicule, and you're going to say, God, why are they doing that? And all you're doing is broadcasting to all of heaven and hell that, hey, my worship is up for sale. You broadcast to all of the spiritual realm, heavenly and demonic alike, when you point at somebody else's worship and you say they should not be doing that, why is that? It's because you've proven that you don't value Christ like they do. It ain't about who loves Jesus more. No, it ain't about that. But what I'm saying is, 
It's not a contest. Who, who can proclaim that they love Jesus more? No, your worship's going to prove how you love Jesus. And when you look at somebody else's worship and you say, hey, cut that out. You've now said to the enemy of your soul, hey, I'm up for grabs. But you know what? Judas went on to betray Christ for 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. Seems pretty insignificant. Oh, but I can tell you, saint of God, man and woman of God, you'll sell them for a lot less than that. Oh, you'll sell them for a lot less than that. You'll let that root of bitterness get in there. You'll betray Christ for bitterness. You'll stop worshiping Christ because you're bitter. You'll let that lustful spirit come in and just take you right out. You'll allow fear, anxiety, and depression to take a hold of your life. The next thing you know, you can't worship Jesus anymore. You're so bound. And you'll find that in your heart, you have betrayed the one who you claim to follow in love. But where did it all start? Where did it all start? Yes. He criticized Mary's praise. But he already had it in his heart. It was already there. That, that, that root of just unsatisfaction, that root of greed and pride was already in Judas's heart. Unattended, un, not dealt with. You better let God deal with things in your heart. Because if you don't let him do it, and you don't get things right, you'll find yourself reaching out and touching somebody that you have no business touching. And when you do that, you are one step away from betrayal. You are one step away from betrayal. You'll find that you'll be willing to sell Christ for far less than what we almost make a mockery of Judas out of. Jesus. My next point. It's going to be my last point, but it's going to, we're going to get into this a little deeper. Your physical position can reveal your heart's disposition. Your physical position can reveal your heart's disposition. Now, to understand this, I'm actually going to need a couple volunteers. Brother Scott and Sister Robin, can you come up here and help me, please? Justin, can you help me, brother? Sister Cindy, I need you to come help me, sister. You've been helping me preach all night. I'm thankful for that. <clears throat> We're going to go back through John 12. I'm going to point something out. I just feel the Lord just laid on my heart so strongly about our praise. John 12 says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, which had been dead whom he raised from the dead. There they made him supper, and Martha served. Sister Cindy, you're going to be Martha tonight. I need you just to act like you're serving people. I know you can do it. <laughs> Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with Jesus. Justin, I just want you to sit right there in that chair, brother. You're going to be Lazarus. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus. Brother Scott, you're going to be Jesus tonight. Come on, just sit right here. 
<clears throat> Sister Rob, you're going to be married. I just need you just to press in and worship the Lord. This is real. She anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Brother Jared, well, never mind, you're taking pictures. Brother Cody, I need you, I need you to be uh, Judas for me tonight, but it's okay. You're a little too excited to be Judas anyway. <laughs> just, you just be Judas for me, brother. You, don't, you ain't really got to do nothing, just don't act happy. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear that was put therein. Then Jesus said, let her alone. Against the day of my burying hath she kept this. For the poor you have with me always, the poor you have always with you, but me you have not always. Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there. All of us are going to be the Jews tonight. All of us are going to be the Jews that were, is in this passage. All, every single one of us. We're going to go on this journey together. Because they knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus, Lazarus also to death. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away. And they believed on Jesus. Now what we first must understand is, is that in John chapter 11 verse 5 it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister who we know is Mary and Lazarus. Jesus loved these three siblings. It specifically says, John wrote it down. It specifically says that he loves these three people. And undoubtedly we, should, we could say within ourselves that those three people love Jesus too. Every one of them loved Jesus. But what I want you to understand is that when you look at different translations of the Bible, whether it be ESV, NIV, NASB, almost every one of those versions say that Lazarus reclined at the seat of the table. At the table. So Justin, I just want you, not, don't, don't slouch, but just sit back really comfortable, brother. Just get comfortable like you would. So it said that Lazarus was reclining at the table. Now for all of us who were born and raised on King James Version, don't worry, I cross-reference it too. And when it says it sat, when you go through the interlinear translation of that, it says that he was reclining. So that's not unbiblical to say he, was, he really was reclining in the seat at the table. Martha is serving. Wherever she's, there she is. Martha's serving. She's going around doing what she's supposed to do. But Mary's at the feet of Jesus. And then you have all of these other people who've come because they've heard of Jesus by now. But now they've also, they were probably some of the ones there who were mourning with Martha and Mary when Lazarus died. Now they get the news that Lazarus is back alive. Can you imagine going to somebody's funeral and then being dead and four days later they're alive again? I'd be going to check it out too. So you've got this whole congregation of people, just like all of us. They're coming to look and see what Jesus has done. I want you to pay close attention now. They show up looking for the evidence of who Christ was. They found the evidence in Lazarus. It said that the chief priest wanted to put him to death. 
He was the evidence of who Christ was. He had brought him back to life. But you know what they found when they looked at that man? They saw a man reclining in the seat. And Mary is the one worshiping at the feet of Jesus. I'm telling you now, that rocked me to my core. When I sat back and said, God, how many times has somebody else been more thankful for what you've done for me than I was? We are the evidence. But what kind of example are we setting for a world? We all know women are supposed to be broken. They're quote unquote inferior. They're emotional people. Lazarus is a man. Risen from the dead. Wouldn't you think the man that had been risen from the dead would be the one at the feet of the one who raised him from the dead? But instead he's reclining at the seat. God sent me here to ask you and challenge you. How much longer are you going to be satisfied with a seat at the table? How much longer will you be satisfied just sitting with Christ? Jesus loved all three of these people. All three of them, they loved him too. But we can become comfortable in our love for Christ. I guess I'm the only one that's been comfortable loving Jesus. Lazarus risen from the dead miraculously. A whole congregation comes to see what just happened. They came to see Christ, but they wanted to see Lazarus too. And what did they see? They saw a man reclining in a seat. A woman was at the feet of Jesus and she was mocked and asked, why are you doing that? Shouldn't it have been done differently? It said many of them came. But the last verse says, because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away, but they believed on Jesus. I can tell you tonight, the devil's fine with you believing in Jesus. He just don't want you to follow him. He don't care if you believe in Jesus. How many people do you know who claim and profess to know Christ and you know if they drew their last breath, they're going to a devil's hell? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. These people showed up to see a spectacle. What an opportunity for people not just to believe but to follow. But the scripture says that they all went away. I often wondered in this week of preparation how many of those same Jews ended up sitting there crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The church of today is full of Lazaruses. We come in and we get our seat at the table. We look nice. We're confident in our love with Christ. We know that we love him and that he loves us. You see, what... Lazarus did and what Martha did was not a sin. It's not sin. But you're limiting what God can do. 
God wants to know how much longer are you going to just sit at the table? I, I don't want to have to do this. I don't, but God dealt with my heart about last week, what happened in last Sunday night service. I pray that you can take this in grace. But I taught this lesson in Sunday school last week. I, it ended literally at 545. I didn't open the altars or anything like that. I just closed it out. Brother Michael closed us in prayer. I went out. I used the bathroom. I just got ready for the service. And three women were so compelled that they came down here to this altar. They began to sit at the feet of Jesus. One was weeping profusely, one was worshiping, and one was just so overcome by the Spirit, she was speaking in tongues. And I came in and I sat down in reverence, just broken, I'm telling you, like God was still dealing with my heart about what I had just talked on. And I sat there, and person after person began to fill this sanctuary, and we began to come into this house, and we would break the threshold of that door. And we heard the tongues. We heard the praise. We saw what they were doing. And we paused for a brief moment. A brief moment of this is different than what it normally is. And one by one we pushed right on through. Casual conversations began to take place. We began to laugh and talk. I'm not saying fellowship is bad. Please don't misunderstand me. But we came in. We came in and these women were broken at the altar. Oh, listen to me now. I'm not throwing stones at nobody. Our worship team came up here. They got in their rightful places, serving like they're supposed to do, the right thing to do. Our greeters were greeting those in the back. Our other staff members were working around, making sure that this service would be all that it's supposed to be. And we came in here, and it wasn't long I could barely hear this tongues over the voices in this building. I could barely hear the cry and the worship of those women at this altar. And God began to deal with my heart. And he showed me, he said, son, you're looking at a real life house of Bethany. You're looking at it, son. We came into this house knowing that Jesus was going to come, but he was already here. Brother Michael, he was already here. And we didn't even take notice. We came to our spots. We sat in our seats. We readied ourselves for Russell to strike the first chord on that keyboard. Waiting to usher in the presence of God. And Jesus was already sitting at the front of this room. We say we want revival. We say we want all these things. Oh, but we've got to start living at the feet of Jesus. What would have happened if Dana Miles would have came down here and just started worshiping the Lord? Oh, I'm guilty too. Oh, don't, don't, don't think I'm just up here throwing stones. No, I, I searched my heart too. The only reason I was sitting back there because I had a sleeping little boy in the pew back there. But we become so accustomed to the goodness of God. We become so accustomed to His presence filling the room. That we're so busy serving, which is a good thing to do. But so many of us are so casual. We've got our positions. We've got our places. And Jesus is saying, I don't need your position. I don't need your talent. I just want your worship. 
That's all he wants. We don't need a drummer. We don't need a keyboard player. We don't need a guitarist. All we need is people who are willing to come sit at the feet of Jesus. I'm telling you, God did, he still did great things in that service. But I wonder what he really could have done. I wonder if there was somebody who came in this house and they were really looking for somebody to show them Jesus. And they saw people who were just reclined back in their seats. You see, we can become religious in our own abstractness. Come on now. Come on. Come on. We can, fight, we can say we're not, we're not lawful. We don't just sing three songs. And goes, but we can become religious in our own selves. There's, the easiest way to become religious is to take Christ for granted. When we take Christ for granted, you will find that there will be people who leave longing and lacking in the fullness of who they could be in Christ. I'm telling y'all, I'm not throwing stones at anybody. But I can tell you this, that your praise will bring others to Christ. Not some half-hearted praise, taking Jesus for granted. I'm talking about real praise. Paul and Silas, pastor referenced it this morning. They were in that jail cell, bound up. Oh, but he didn't muzzle their mouths. They began to sing praises. Their shackles were loosed miraculously. But what did that entail? It brought a man to Christ. But not just one man. He was the provision for his entire family. What have people missed because we weren't worshiping God like we should have been? How many times do we come in here worshiping him? Bound up. And nobody leaves free. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. This is the second thing that the Holy Spirit really dropped into my spirit this morning. I was standing right over there. It was when Brother Jared in the first service. He talked about all the prodigal sons and daughters and people who were, had unsaved loved ones. And he said, I believe that these people are going to come back. I just believe it. And we prayed for these people. And God just, I'm telling you, dealt with my heart. And he said, you go tell those people. Those mothers, those fathers, those grandfathers, those grandmothers, those aunts, those uncles, those cousins. You'll go, you go tell them that we'll see real revival and restoration if you'll leave your seat at the table and find your place at the foot of Jesus. If you'll leave the table and you'll start living your life at the feet of Jesus, you'll see revival and restoration. You'll see those sons and those daughters come back to Christ. You know why? Because they've become accustomed to you just loving Jesus. They know you love Jesus. You don't have to convince them of that. They see you. They know that you love them. Oh, but they know the difference of you sitting at the table and sitting at his feet. Oh, Jesus is in this room right now. And all he's asking for is if you want real revival, 
and you want real restoration. Jesus is saying, just come and live at my feet. I'll cover all your critics. I'll answer all the criticism. I'll do everything. You'll lack for nothing. But how much longer are you going to just sit at the table reclining in your love for Christ? You're secure. You know you love Jesus. Tyler, you know you love him. He knows that you love him. But we become so comfortable in that that when a lost world comes running up and looking, they can't deny. They can't deny the evidence of who you are. They knew you before you were saved. They knew what you did. And you no longer do those things anymore. They see the evidence. But there's no example beyond the evidence. We are to be examples of Christ. Mary. She lived at the feet of Jesus. Every time, Mary, you see her in the Word. She was at His feet when she found out He was coming. Martha went out to meet Jesus. She comes back and says, the Master bids you come. Mary runs out. What she do? She falls at His feet. She's at His feet when Jesus is at Martha's house. Martha says, Jesus, do you not see me serving? Why isn't Mary helping me? Jesus said, Mary's chosen that which is, that which is needful. It's time, church, that we start choosing that which is needful again. God don't need our talent. God don't need your attendance record. He just needs your worship. Oh, but he wants it in spirit and in truth. And if you'll do that, I promise we will see real revival break out in this church, in this community, in this country, and across the world. But it takes men and women being real with themselves and coming to an altar to repent Maybe you've touched somebody's praise that you shouldn't have. But just simply come and worship Jesus for who he is. Mary had probably the purest heart of worship. And Jesus honored that. He looked back at Judas and he said, you leave her alone. Would you stand with me tonight?